Hey, welcome to the Elevate Database Show, number 17. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. We're here to explore current topics in database, sharing our creative inspiration and the tools and techniques that we are experimenting with as practicing information designers. Today, we have a really interesting topic. The question we're going to try to answer, <laughs> chat about, if you were going to take a break from serious work to work on something just because it would be really interesting, what would we all do? I'm Ali Torben. We also have Duncan Gear, Gabrielle Marit, and Will Chase. And before we jump in, this show is supported by the members of the Elevate Dataviz Learning Community who get the opportunity to watch and ask questions live. So if you would like to do that and you want to level up your Dataviz skills in a very supportive community, you can check out elevatedataviz.com. Okay, so back to this topic. If we were going to take a break from serious work, <laughs> we all love our work, right? But if we were going to take a break from <laughs> the, the money-making work, what would we work on just because it's really interesting? And, and it's important to say, I think that, uh, this is a question that comes from, uh, an essay by a guy called, uh, Paul Graham, um, who is the head of Y Combinator. He does a bunch of startup-y things. Um, don't agree with everything that he writes, but I do like this essay, how to do great work. I'm going to put a link in the oh, chat. Already. You've already got there. Wonderful. Um, yeah, this is a fantastic resource if you want to do great work. And he makes the case that the answer to the, this question, what would you do if you didn't have to do your real work, is <laughs> more important than you probably think it is. So, yeah, that's yeah, kind I like of that line. Inspiration it's, it might be today. more important. More might be more important than you think. I like yes. that line. It makes you think, what is it? Because <laughs> when you asked that, I was like, oh yeah, well, what I do. I don't know. <laughs> Duncan, would you like to go first? Oh my gosh, I have to go first. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I am trying really hard to do this at the moment, to make sure that there is time to do this thing in my schedule. And this thing is um, figuring out how to do good, generative, data-driven, animated visuals. I think that this is a really interesting place to explore and it ties in really closely with the sonification work that I do a lot of. Um, for people who don't know, I run the Loud Numbers Data Sonification Studio at loudnumbers.net with my uh, collaborator Miriam Quick. And yeah, we've, we love doing stuff that's audio, but we are kind of discovering that a lot of people want some video alongside it. And so mm -hmm. having some of those skills ourselves is something that we're trying to develop and I specifically am trying to develop. So I've been looking into a bit of software called Touch Designer, which seems to be kind of like the industry standard with this stuff. Touch Designer seems to be really, really powerful. And I'm really excited about figuring out how I can develop kind of experiences that include an audio element and a moving visual element, but do not necessarily look like a traditional data visualization. Hmm. And possibly even where the, because you know, humans are so, um, I guess like visually biased, something where the visuals are boring enough that they don't take all the attention away from the audio, but they complement it and hmm. they add to it in useful ways. And you said data-driven. So mm. how, I'm just trying to imagine, I don't know what this looks like. What does it look like for an animation to be data-driven? So it just means that, you know, 
assuming that your data is laid out on the timeline of this animation, right? Mm -hmm. the, that it starts at the start and it ends at the end. You know, the first row is at the beginning of the animation. The last row of data is at the end of the animation. And it's in a, you know, it's probably a time series data set or something else that, you know, sensibly can be laid out along an axis, right? Which is not all data, but um, I'm looking at that kind of data. And, you know, it's just like, say, it's it's just kind of like a, um, mapping it in the same way that you would map bars to on a bar chart, right? right? Where larger numbers are higher bars, but instead you see the data in that moment rather than all of the data at once. And maybe there is more, I don't know, there's more red in the graphic or, or in the animation at that point in time if the number is higher. Like that would be a simple Got example it. of a mapping. So it's almost like taking a... A, a sonification approach to visuals in a lot of ways. Right. So you're just taking like going really back to basics where you have some sort of like, um, as Tamara Munzner says in her book, you just have like marks and channels and encodings, yeah. right? So like you choose a mark, like a circle or a line or a yeah. bar, and then you say, okay, the data is going to be related to the length of the bar or the color of the bar. Exactly. And then it just, and then you're like, go. Yeah. And seeing, seeing what animate. <laughs> Duncan, would you say the the COVID uh, thing you did for the museum with um, Valentino. with Valentino was a good example of this? I think it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely does not look like a traditional data visualization, and it is an animation. So it's important to say that I didn't work on the animation at all. Of yeah, that. yeah, I only yeah. did the the sound for that. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I would say that that is absolutely a, a plausible example of this. Because I think it's, I think thinking about like when you said generative data driven, in some respects, those are like opposite things, right? So, <laughs> uh, I mean, so in the it sense was... that it's it's generated from the data, I suppose, mm -hmm. as as opposed to me placing things there by hand. I think that's what I mean by generative in this I context. See. Yeah, or like, I mean, I think in that, even in that animation, you did have some aspects of the visual that were purely generative, right? Like there were the the overall visual there was mapping to the data but i believe like uh placement of certain things like not every single pixel in that was driven by data is that correct i believe so I, again i didn't work on the animation for that okay. but yeah. i believe that that's the case yeah i think most of it was driven by data or geography or something like that mm -hmm. because it kind of represented a map of london and london's districts mm -hmm. and all of that, but um, yeah, you know, there there were you know aspects of texture in it, things like that were probably more generatively created for sure. Mm -hmm. And then you can also pl start playing with kind of like visual filters like blur and stuff like that. You know, mm -hmm. blur is a really interesting visual uh, mapping that you can do that we very rarely see in DataViz, and I think it's quite interesting. So it's hard yeah. to use blur. I've tried yeah. many, many times. My I want one of my projects to use blur as a data, but it's 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 really hard to use. Why is it hard to use? I think it requires the data values to be quite distinct. Um, like mm. when I tried, it was like the difference in variation between the, the values were not enough that the blur would be distinctively mm. visually enough. Mm. So I think, I think that's what I run into. It's always yeah. like, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's one of those that's really hard to do for like a continuous variable, mm -hmm. um, because of that problem. But you could, you know, you, I think it would be 
probably better suited or much easier to apply if you have like a categorical thing. Yeah. Or you put or things to... in buckets, right? Like right. no yeah. blur, medium blur, all blur. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you yeah, have to have like maybe three. Because that's even very much that. the kind of principle we apply yeah. when we're doing sodification with something like mm. distortion in sound, for example. If you put it in a mm -hmm. few buckets, it kind of works, but too many buckets, you're just not going to be able to read the data out. I mean, you know, also this is about not necessarily creating a graphic that is going to be used in an analysis in a report or something like that. You know, it's about creating a, a more artistic experience. And so I think there you can have a lot more at latitude to allude to things with something mm -hmm. like a blur where you don't necessarily need to read the exact blurriness state of it. It should just give you a sense of how blurry it is roughly. Hmm. Um, or is and it also getting more can, blurrier or less blurrier? Yeah, and and also you can double encode it, and I think that hmm. that can help as well. So it could be like blurrier and redder versus you know sharper and bluer or something like that. Hmm. That can also really help. Yeah. What What are you thinking uh, in terms of if you had more time? Because I mean, the whole concept of hey, if you stopped working, <laughs> you would have more time to do this, right? So like, yeah. what would you what What would you think would be your first step to start? exploring this more, just starting to learn that tutorial. Like, I know you want to use that tool, but like beyond mm. the tool, I'm interested. What yeah. do you think you're missing? I mean, right now, um, I was talking to Miriam, my sonification collaborator about this the other day. And I kind of, I said to her that I kind of feel like I've got my swimsuit on. I'm standing right by the sea, but I haven't got in the water yet. I haven't started mm. swimming. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've done a lot of tutorials, but I haven't really made anything yet. Mm. And that's kind of um, an easy place for people to get stuck in, I think, yeah. when they're learning new things. It's like the eternal student syndrome, right? Yeah. Like, you know, when you like get caught into like learning and you look at everything and you're like looking at all the theory, but you never actually jumps in and like start yeah. doing and make thing. something. <laughs> yeah. It almost so seems trying... like you do need the client work to like push you into that pool and be like, all right, yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's difficult to sell yourself, you know, you doing something until you feel like you've actually got some skills and some yeah. confidence in it. So it's a bit mm -hmm. of a chicken and egg thing. And what I'm trying to do is I just yesterday, I blocked out all the Friday afternoons in my calendar mm -hmm. from um, like the start of November to the end of the year. And I'm going to dedicate all of those to trying to do some touch designer. Why are you shaking your head, Gabby? You don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm always just mind blown how you just casually drop like, oh, yeah, I totally just block a whole like afternoon off and I'm going to respect it. I'm like, who does that? Like, I'm just like, <laughs> I mean, you're the like, king of like work-life balance. I, you know. To be, to be clear, I didn't say that I'm definitely going to respect it. I said that I blocked it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first step, right? You blocked it out. <laughs> exactly. You know, what I'm trying to do is create, like, this is the default for what I'm doing in that time. And, you know, if something else pops up and it is more important, of course, I'm going to do that more important thing. And I'm going to try to, you know, I always try work, to work really hard to make sure that I do not have an endless parade of incredibly important things that prevent uh, other things from happening. Um, 
but yeah, that's yeah. We are we're currently in the middle of my focus block on my calendar right now. So <laughs> <laughs> this is more Wait, important. Yeah. Will yeah. we also we have a repeated schedule? So somewhere, somewhere, <laughs> something went wrong. I'm not this very is good like on the schedule already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I'm think we put this we put this call in. What was it? Six months ago or something like that. <laughs> I, uh, it's more, it's more to prevent people from like, you know, looking at my calendar and being like, oh, he's free. Yeah, I'll just schedule a meeting then. Right. Yeah. So. That's good. That's yeah. good. A good tactic, especially if you, you know, work in a more corporate environment where people are going to be looking at your calendar. Mm -hmm. Everyone mm -hmm. likes to respect focus time. Yeah. Well, one thing that I am curious about is like, is there a proxy for this in between work where it's like, I really need like to motivate me to like jump in the pool, I need a client, you know, a paying work to be like prioritize and do it. Um, but you know, like I need to actually, you know, experiment with it first. Is there kind of like an in-between something or other that we could do? Cause I mean, I'm, you'll hear in mine, like I'm kind of in the same boat, like I'm staying, like I'm really interested, but I'm like standing at the edge. I mean, I, th I think I like to think of it as a portfolio project. You know, because it's going to help me get work in the future. So then I feel like it's okay to spend some time on doing this. Mm -hmm. But it also means that, you know, there isn't a strict deadline or anything like that. Yeah. But thinking of it as a, I, I, I like to think of it as a portfolio project rather than a personal project. Because a personal project is just like, oh, only you care about it kind of thing. But a portfolio right. project mm -hmm. is designed to be seen by other people. Yeah, and I think that, that helps. I mean, in portfolio project, you can always like, I tell people to do this all the time, that if you have something that you think like could potentially be sold or published, you know, make it as a portfolio piece, say you're going to learn something new. So regardless, you'll get something out of it. And then at the end, if you think it's a worthwhile product, you can go and pitch it around to a few different organizations or, you know, try to sell it. And somebody might want to give you money for it at the end and publish it. Um, but if mm. not, then you know, you've learned something and you've put it in your portfolio. So either way, it's a win-win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like your prototype. I'm making a prototype for... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's R&D. And, and the idea that you haven't pitched it to someone ahead of time and gotten them to like sign a contract and say, yes, I will produce this and they're counting on me takes away all the pressure of like, I've never done this before. What if I just fail, you know? <laughs> Amy said, I lost it. I'm hearing that Duncan put on his swimsuit, got to the beach, and just needs to get in the water. How do you take that leap into the sea? I know that you gotta like someone's got someone's gotta push you. I mean, I another great thing is um like uh uh what's it called? Partners. Um like body system. Yeah, like yeah. uh what's the word? <laughs> what's um, I know the word. I'm losing the word. No, there's another word. Um accountability. Accountability. <laughs> but I guess maybe one. Miriam is is kind of like that for you. Yeah, and and you know, also I I think the the accountability partner is telling everybody, including the yes. entire internet on a YouTube video. You are gonna do something um <laughs> gives you some kind of impetus to actually actually do it. So that's uh, yeah, I am all of you are standing behind me on the beach right now and giving me a shove towards We're trying. the sea. That's the uh that's that's what I'm trying to do here, I think. <laughs> I think yeah, we can you know. all attest to that, right? Like we all had experience yeah. where we have to announce something to make mm -hmm. like my new website. The only reason I finished it is because I said on the podcast that would be released at the end of the year that I will have a new website up. And I was like, Well, I said it, it's gonna be live sometimes. <laughs> I, have so I have to do it now. 
<laughs> You've made a promise. <laughs> and especially if you're the kind of person who is um, very driven by, or, or let's just say more driven by other people asking you to do things than you know, things that you feel like you need to do yourself. Some people are, uh, and I count myself among them, like I'm much more motivated to do things for other people than I am for myself a lot of the time. So by telling lots of other people that I'm going to do this, I'm now then doing it for them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just a, a little kind of mind hack. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about your animation? No, I don't think I'm so. Um, yeah, I mean, except that uh, my... I think my first public project with it will probably be a partnership with a sonification that I'm working on at the moment hmm. uh, with Miriam, which is about the Canadian wildfire season this year. Oh. So that's a that's a, a project that it's going to be important to get the tone right on. And so it, that's going to be quite challenging in a lot of ways. And I'm kind of looking forward to that challenge, figuring out what that's going to look like. I can see Blur working well with that, just thinking like the smoke idea mm. yeah. yeah i need to get a good mood board together mm -hmm. <laughs> step one <clears throat> all right all right well what about you what would you do if you got to quit axios forget them <laughs> kidding <laughs> kidding everybody we're going um, to get into trouble here i know we're not trying to get you in trouble yes, we know um, you love it what if, would you do <laughs> if my employer is watching i love you uh it's wonderful great please don't fire me um, please, please don't book meetings in your focus time <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes i promise i'm uh, i'm working an extra hour tonight to make up my <laughs> no um i Let's see. Well, there's there's two answers to this. One answer is like the real work answer because like I still need to have a, a job and make money. Uh, the other answer is where I just have fantasies of like quitting everything and opening a little cafe or something and just like making people coffee all day because <laughs> I would really like to do that or, or a bar maybe, you know, bar would be nice. Um, but then the reality of trying to run a restaurant or business uh, hits and I'm like, uh -uh. no. Mm -mm. Uh, Maybe that's my plan if I like won the lottery or got like some windfall from a, you know, long lost uncle died yeah, and left matter. me millions of dollars and I could just, you know, have a cafe that's only open from uh, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Makes no PM. money. <laughs> 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 makes no money. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's my, that's my fantasy idea. Um, the real answer uh, is... Um, so lately I've been getting uh, much more interested in mapping and cartography mm. uh, and all things to do with geo data. Um, so uh, one of the like huge areas of that that I'm pretty like relatively ignorant to is uh, remote sensing data. Mm. Uh, so satellites essentially is what that means. Um, and there are an incredible number of things that you can do if you are knowledgeable about satellites and the data that they collect and how to analyze it. Um, and so much so that like, you know, it's a whole field of study, right? There's many people that like go off and study that for college or do their PhD. Um, and so uh, that is actually a thing that I have thought of doing. Um, again, I wouldn't probably quit my job right now because I need to make money. But uh, <laughs> If I didn't, I think I would love to go do a master's program or a PhD even uh, in remote sensing and actually oh. learn how to, um, you know, not just like use other people's derived satellite data because that's 
sort of a whole thing on its own that even requires a good bit of knowledge, but like it's, it's relatively, it's easier to like go to a data repository and be like, here are some satellite images I can get, or here is some derived data that someone else made that I can get. Um, but if you really know what you're doing and you have knowledge, um, you can go in and take the raw data from these things. Uh, and, you know, a good example is like right now, uh, researchers are using um, satellite data to identify um, areas in Palestine that have been bombed. Um, mm -hmm. And they did the same thing in Ukraine, um, where you can actually get, uh, you know, highly accurate, like pixel by pixel data on areas that have been attacked or bombed. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really limitless. What's, what's the pixel do. resolution like on like satellites these days, like the, the best ones? Uh, the best publicly accessible ones anyway. Yeah, I mean, extremely high. So, Because um, I remember I, I studied a bunch of this 20 years ago when I was doing my mm -hmm. meteorology uh, BSC. Yep. And, yep. you know, we did all sorts of stuff about like weather satellites and radar. Radar is another interesting one for remote mm -hmm. sensing. Yep. Um, and I guess people who work in astronomy do a lot of it, but pointed in the other direction. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, back then it was like hundreds of meters pixels at best you know and kilometers mostly so yeah i mean people. that's still a pretty standard would be like you know kilometers but you can get down to much less than that i mean you can get down to um i think even like five to ten meters in some cases it really depends like what data source you have access to and what data source you're using because you know all the satellites have different like bands that they can measure and so some of them are extremely precise but they measure fewer things and and vice versa but um you know and also i guess like how zoomed in they mm -hmm. are on a particular area of of terrain like how how big the area you want to cover is because if it's yeah. just like a field or something you can throw up a drone yeah. and cover it in incredible mm -hmm. resolution mm -hmm. but, yeah i mean an example is they just launched a satellite or maybe it was launched last year but they're expecting to get data soon from a, a new satellite uh for measuring uh micro fluctuations in like ocean surface uh level um so we're not talking about like sea level rise on a global scale we're talking about meter by meter uh ocean surface level and so that's a single meter resolution satellite and the idea is that by having that super super fine grain it's actually going to tell them uh in great detail about uh where ocean currents are and how they're changing interesting what about um lidar did you guys um oh yeah it's a whole thing too <laughs> yeah because i mean i remember um i got a graduate certificate in geospatial intelligence and we took a class on lidar and that was one of my mm -hmm. kind of dreams too it's like whoa it'd be so cool to be like on one of these planes just collecting like yeah. so lidar is um light detection and ranging i believe where you basically yeah. use a laser i think or a light and it bounces back right and then they can kind of like um show you a picture of the terrain and so you mm -hmm. kind of get almost like a 3d picture of what's happening and um yeah, yeah i always thought like oh it'd be cool to be on one of these planes like collecting all this data and then going back to your computer and like <laughs> diagramming it visualizing it yep yep definitely yeah i think that's like so that's the aspect of it that i think is so attractive to me is that like i came from a research background and so mm -hmm. you know i mean we do the same thing in data journalism of course like you can find new information but um it seems like you know there's uh it's, it's just like a treasure trove of data, essentially. And so, you know, by 
if you know how to take uh, remote sensing data and analyze it in a sophisticated way, you can, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things that you can figure out and discover that is like brand new information, mm. um, which I always find interesting. So do you like the, are you attracted to the idea of like, maybe some days you're like, Oh, it's a field day where I'm going out into the field and, you know, like that kind of thing. Is that what you're uh, less? So I like the idea of being like <laughs> in my house, you know, looking through a satellite satellite like outside you're inside. Yeah, I like people from a distance. <laughs> right. I like the idea of like spying, you know, like, Ooh, I can like <laughs> see some remote location in Mongolia with this satellite. Mm -hmm. uh, so. I mean, that's the joy of, of Google Earth and everything, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yep. The, the people I was going to reference, have you come across the work of forensic architecture? Mm -mm. No. I'm going to throw a link in the chat, which uh, our watchers and you can click on. But mm. they do some really, really interesting investigations into all kinds of stuff all over the world um, that use a lot of remote sensing data, but also other stuff mm -hmm. as well um you know some of it is archaeology some of it is mm -hmm. you know like video analysis frame by frame video analysis there's just like so many different cool mm -hmm. projects that they've done and they do a lot of like physical exhibitions so i definitely recommend if ever one pops up where you are you should definitely go check it out i think you'd love it yeah this stuff is fascinating no, I, I love it already what i'm just scrolling through <laughs> all right you good will I'm good. All right. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> You're like a third I'm excited person. about going to Will's coffee shop. And I know. You let us know when you open that. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. If there's any, um, if there's any wealthy patrons watching that would like to sponsor a, a money losing coffee shop, uh, just let me know. What you could do is you could like beam satellite images onto the walls of the coffee shop. Oh, oh there you go. Yeah. This is what it looks like Across in Mongolia streams. right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that would be kind of a cool, a cool gimmick. <laughs> Starting your marketing plan. <laughs> all right, Gabby, you're up. What would you do if you could quit all your serious work? This one is so hard, guys. I was thinking about it and I was like, I would just keep doing my work, my mm -hmm. job, because uh, this is what I do. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's behavior. A, well, it, either either it's very unhealthy or it suggests that <laughs> or what very you are doing currently is extremely healthy. I think it's quite <laughs> that healthy. you're living your best life, you know? I think I'm, I love my job. Is there more I would like to learn? Yes. I am... It's always related to my job. I mean, to be fair, I kind of like will my dream if I were to quit my job and do anything else because I didn't love it anymore, which is not the case. I would probably do some gardening and like interior design, but just for plants. Mm. Like I will come into your house and play, place plants where they should be and not just because they look cool so they can <laughs> actually survive. Because <laughs> every time I watch this interior design video, I just cringe really hard being like, this thing is going to be dead in like six weeks. I don't know why you put that there. Um, so yes, <laughs> that would be the dream. <laughs> like secondary job later in life when I retire from database. Um, but no, if I had a little more time and it's related to my job, well, there's all the business things that I would like to do and having a new website and all these things. But I think what I'm really interested in these days is social behavior, like so, like behavior science, like so human behavior science. Because I'm really interested in the idea of um, having more of an understanding of what really works and doesn't work when it comes to, you know, campaign and 
uh, messaging and even design that are not just based on like what we were taught in school of like this is the foundation of the rule it comes from Bauhaus or wherever some white people decided that this is how the world should look like I'm really interested in like especially because they die so close to those kind of topics that can you know be really close to like social change whether it's mm-hmm. climate or equity or justice what really works um so I'm, I'm obviously I collect I have a whole collection of like research papers and I would love to like organize that to have some kind of I have somewhat of a framework but I think it could be improved upon and I would love to set up a process even for work on like testing out mm. how those campaign work is it even like the format that we do today in terms of database of like producing campaign work or reports or social media is that even the right way to Mm. approach those topics do we need visual do we not do we need to actually send people with brochure knocking on doors instead i'm just really interested in all that so i'm deep down the like research rabbit hole (laughs) what about you kind of mentioned testing is it something like how do you imagine you could test something like that or like I don't know are you interested in all and like kind of going in the field too and just like seeing if trying some stuff out and reporting and taking your own basically doing your own research yes I would love to be involved in research um because there's so many questions I have that I don't think the current research is answering so I would love that independently almost from like project because i think also project put like a whole different like who's your audience is like you can do user mm. testing but that's different like and you can do user interviews I, I even independently of that i think the research part is really interesting i don't know if i have time to make it happen i also don't have the background in stat to make it happen but mm. i i am like it's just very interesting there's a i think there's already just a collection that needs to be done of what already exists and what mm-hmm. are we missing because there's such a gap between what we know in in you know social behavior sciences and like what we use us designers and communicators in general in terms of practices there's a massive gap there i don't think we are trained any of us to like study this yeah we just do things by experience this stuff that works and we know it works but there's so many times where i'm like does it really work like i get the sense that maybe that's the way but is it and i would love to like start just collecting everything that already exists outside of the realm of database itself just in general and like social cognitive science and then Mm -hmm already like start drafting hypotheses on how would that impact database um yes mapping out the landscape and then kind of charting routes through it almost yeah and even applying like i think you know there's so many things that we know are true that we don't even consider when we make database you know whether it's like there are psychological drivers of misinformation beliefs uh you know and there's way to fight there's different ways to fight pre like to pre-bunk so prevent somebody to get the bad idea it's very different than debunking something Mm. and i don't think we have the currently us practitioners in the field have this understanding and knowledge even though it already exists there's like good information on that so i want to just gather as much information and apply that in the field and then see what the gaps are mm. where is where is things that should be applied to just database that we don't have answer on like does creative design really do anything to like people you know relating to a specific campaign does it has to be creative could it be more boring does the digital media works better does the in-person media does better does better i don't think we have those answers in terms of data can does data has to have to be visualized i'm going to upset some database people here mm-hmm. but i don't think we always need to maybe it needs mm-hmm. to be sonified maybe it needs to just not be even talked about you know and also like 
when is it harmful to show people the things? I think we're starting to get some answer here, but I think there's so many unknowns. So yeah, I'm very passionate about that. I don't know. It's a bigger question. It's still related to work, though. It's pretty serious work, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I think all that sounds fascinating. I think that, you know, humankind and especially like Western civilization has been on a, a big like, let's get all the information and put it in one place kind of journey over the last you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And I think now people are starting to say, ooh, maybe not that information, <laughs> you know, and just kind of thinking a bit more, like not just more, 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 more mindset, but like what is the right amount of information for this? Task? Yeah, and I think having like clear frameworks of like this is when you can and this is how versus this is not when you can. I think we get a sense of that. I think a lot of us work empirically in many ways we we take yeah. those decisions because we have we get a feeling of our work but i just probably because of my science background i like to have the idea of like this is more of a certain thing this is how the brain works if we do this this is what happens obviously it's not perfect but i would love to have more insight and be more involved in that field um so do i want to go back to and have another master <laughs> just add it up maybe <laughs> but you know i don't really have the time for that so I mean, it's it's interesting that you kind of bring this up because I think right at the moment as we're recording this, isn't uh, IEEE Viz happening, which is like the big um, conference around data visualization findings, and you know I don't know many practice like data people who are making data viz on a regular basis who are actually there. It seems to mostly be the academics talking to other academics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, be it so is so much better if there was more of a conversation between those two groups. It is. I mean, there's Eli Holder, which I'm connected to, thanks to Ali, uh, who has a new paper coming in that's very interesting. So you guys can go check out his work. I think he's doing the work that I want to see more of. And it's directly connected to DataViz. Um, it's very practical stuff, which I quite like. Um, and I think it could just be, there's so much more to explore. And even just, I don't, I think there's the, yeah, that gap between like the academy of things and then the like DataViz practitioner. And I just, I feel like there's a need of like a resource that, puts things together though clearly for people to actually practically use in their everyday choices when it comes to design. Yeah, and I don't think that we have to just completely rely on the um, the academics either, because I mean, there's just like, there's some sort of communication thing happening there. But um, I like to, I think that you would be able to just like do your own A-B testing and just be like, hey, I mean, I'm not publishing a paper here, but to help me and my expertise in my practice. Generally, I know if I put out something like this, this is what how people are going to interpret it and just like slowly amass this um, body of knowledge for yourself by doing your own sets of little tests. Yeah, it's just a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I was gonna ask Gabby, like what time and space, like degree of time and space do you think that you would need to start taking some steps down that path? Um, I feel like I'm at the learning stage where I'm still reading a lot of paper and trying to organize that. And I think if I were to get into practical, like practicing and also doing research, I would need quite a big chunk of my time, like 20%, um, to, to, to like get more, because it's also something like you have to be in it the whole time. As soon as you get out of it for like three months, you've forgotten and you have to go back and revisit. Mm. So I would have to be in it for like 20% of my time or 25, which seems like a lot currently. 
because look at me, I'm successful. And, <laughs> it's, and I have a hard time saying no because, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it, business is working. <laughs> so, and also I have a mission for the business. So it's tricky for me to like decide. I think I don't have, I'm having a hard time designing again that same question that Duncan had, which is you know the money aspect too of like when do we like sacrifice the money to pursue something that we think is efficient or how do we sponsor this time that is unpaid with time that is paid? Um, or, or just you know think of it as as like balancing short term work versus long term work, like yeah, you know, exactly paying the bills versus investment in the future. Yeah, so for me, There's all it's, kinds I of metaphors. I, 100%. And to me, I think to dedicate that amount of time, I will have to, right now, my business is very hands-on for me. Like I'm the person, even if when I hire people, I'm the one who does most of the work or a lot of the work. Or I need to be really invested and I need to find, I think, to get that space without losing my income, which also mm -hmm. I have dependents, I have people depending on me. Um, in that case, that would mean having a business that run on its own a little bit or that brings income without having to be super involved. So I think this is like the priority long term. I need to focus on that first to free the time for the rest. Mm. I think talking about it like this too is helpful because it kind of shifts your mindset. Like now as you go about your work, you can think, oh, that's actually something I could m maybe test and just like work it in your workflow a little bit or like, oh, I have an extra hour here. Let me like set up a little A-B test in uh, usability hub or something and see uh, or, or read a paper and take some good notes on it. I know? think it's more like that right now. I'm at the collection stage, so I take time to read research papers and and I took classes. I took a class in communication for impact from um, Cast from Clay, uh, which is a think tank dedicated to policy research hmm. um, and communication research. So I'm trying to gather. I think I'm at the kind of like the student learning phase. I'm like the gathering space, even though like where do I want to focus? Because there's so much attention out there, so that I can I don't. You know, I would love to organize first the knowledge than it. Like, I want to have more knowledge first before even jumping. Because I am not satisfied with the user testing AB, like small 20 groups, because I have bigger question. Like, how do we make people change their mind on specific topic? And I think that's a bigger effort. I think it's not just like, if I show you this visual, you're going to change your mind. It's like, how do we have a five-year plan? Like, <laughs> I know, but Gabby, don't you think that's just like... I feel like for me, if I heard such a big goal, I'd be like, there's just no way I'm ever doing that. No, <laughs> like, I'm doing like, it. I, well, I mean, like, ambitious. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, like, I just mean, like, you probably how you feel now. I just am, am I ever going to have enough time to do it? Like, this is like a 10 year, 15 year life project, which is great. Is. But like, which is great. I'm not saying that's anything wrong with that. But like, in order to kind of start moving forward, I feel like just feeling like doing the small A-B testing, like, oh, does, you know, if this title is slightly different or do more people click on it? I mean, because that's like one step toward actually changing people's mind, yes. right? Because they actually paid attention to it, you know, like yeah, little yeah. things like that. I think so. I think that could be done. And I think this is where I love Eli because he does a lot of those like small mm. questions, but I have mm -hmm. bigger questions. I still think that at the end of the day, title matters, but I feel like the way you approach people is like, is going to have, is a bigger factor than what color is your visual. Like I get the sense that there's maybe more to it. And so I, I think some people like Eli do really great the like detail of like, is a pie chart better understood than a donor chart, et cetera. And like, I think there's people involved in that and I have questions and I can work with them, but I, I want to work on the bigger strategical question of, I want to work with people who are willing to put five years down, 10 years down plan and be like, we want to change this. How do we do this strategically? How do we put, again, I'm ambitious. <laughs> I have big ambition. 
<laughs> no, but I mean, that stuff exists, right? Like it's out there, you know, there are large organizations that are doing that kind of work. I think, uh, you know, specifically it comes to mind on, uh, on like climate change, right? Like a lot of the organizations that Duncan works with, uh, you know, for his work, like that's the goal. It's not that we're going to, we're going to change the world in the next six months, but it's that, you know, these are long-term goals over a period of time. Um, exactly. To change minds and, and yeah. you know, change policy. Yeah, I'm working with an organization, a think tank called Urban Ocean Lab. Um, and they work with, you know, everything climate related to the ocean and helping coastal cities become climate ready and also climate friendly in many ways. Um, and they they create policy, policies, right, for politicians to adopt. But there's such a gap, in my opinion, between you have those policies, you have this work and this research organized and you communicate through like a long document or long website and then actually getting politicians to implement mm -hmm. those and embrace those. And I think for now, it's made at the one-on-one -on -one level. It's a lot of like personal relationship mm -hmm. with politicians and, and that works. But how do we support that? How do we make it even more? How do we work for communities? Because not they only work, politicians only work only applies policies if they can give them popularity with their own communities, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we also, there's just such a big gap of like communication that needs to be done. And that's the really interesting question I'm interested in, like not even the title of database, but like what is the strategy to approach those communities, those politicians, those different actors so that you can get a movement? I guess that's what I'm interested in. How do you create a movement? Again, big <laughs> ambition. <laughs> how do you create a movement? I mean, that's that that's definitely a, like a life, life uh, question. To work towards i like how uh, yeah what would you pursue if you didn't have to do serious work i'm just like i just make some change generative the world of course and was like, <laughs> i'm starting world. a movement and changing the world you know what it's funny to me though because when i was a child i think that's the thing i say when people were like what do you want to do for it as a job i was like i don't know but i want to change the world and i mm. think as an adult it's i think it's starting to appear i don't think i will ever change the world i think that's way too ambitious and let's be honest and humble this is not going to happen but I, I like the idea of i'm also really personally interested um otherwise i would be gardening find me gardening and you know, taking care of my plants when I'm not doing serious work. Either changing the world or moving people's plants around their house. Saving the plants. <laughs> big, big ambition. Saving the plants from getting murdered by really terrible gardeners and people. So you just call your agency The Planet and Plants or Plants and the Planet. Mm, something <laughs> like that. It might already have a name, but I won't tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All How right. about you, Ali? You're up. Yeah. All right, I'm up. Okay. <clears throat> so um, uh, last summer I worked on a project where I created the graphics for this book called Data is Everybody's Business. And um, some MIT work researchers were trying, were, Dr. Barbara Wixom, she's the main uh, author, co-author. Um, I interviewed her on my podcast last month. And they kind of have like these three main ways that you can businesses can make money with their data. Like you can sell data or more importantly, like um, sell information products based on data. Um, you can improve your processes with data, which is like pretty typical of what people do. But then there's this third kind called wrapping where you use your data and, you know, create some wrap your product basically with the data to help the customer um, improve their lives either by anticipating some sort of thing for them, um, advising them, you know, like saying, hey, you've done this so far, you know, based on our data, watch out for this, um, or helping them do some sort of action, like those kinds of things. 
And the in really interesting thing she said on my podcast is that she's been studying this for 29 years and she has never found a product that cannot be wrapped. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> just like kind of like come open up, you know, like the, the blur has been lifted. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. So like all these things I'm looking around, um, thinking like, oh, how could I wrap that? How could I wrap that? And one thing in particular, um, I went to the library and it, I accidentally printed out the receipt and it said um, like four different times under every book that I got and said like, you've saved $2,000 this year by going to the library and all this stuff. And at first I thought, oh, that's, that's cool. That's interesting. That's, that's a wrap, right? They use, they're using data and they're presenting it to me to kind of like improve my life somehow or get me to come back to the library. But then I was thinking like, is that really getting me back to the library? Like I'm, or I already love going to the library. I know that it's free already. So like if that number could say like $2, $2,000, $2 million, and I'm still going to go to the library, right? I mean, kind of like what you're talking about, Gabby, like the psychology, like how to use data viz and like the psychology of like how that um, affects people's actions and stuff. So that's kind of like, just like this library receipt is like really under my skin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, uh, with this specific example, yeah. I wonder to what extent that data wrapper is aimed at you versus maybe aimed at people who don't already love the library and maybe right. I know. That's just what... went in there and trying it for the first time or something like that. Yeah. And there's like, oh, you saved 20 bucks or whatever. And you're just like, oh, yeah, you're right. I am saving money by going to the library. But even that, I don't know. Does that, that's what I want to know. Like, is that really changing anybody's mind or yes probably. is it you think so <laughs> i think so and and possibly also you know it's it's a bit like you know restaurants that design their food to be instagrammable it's mm. like you know the library is mm. creating something that people are going to take pictures of and share when they get big numbers on yes and talk about it with their friends i mean you are literally talking about it on this show no right i'm now. talking about how i don't so, like it <laughs> right, but... so i guess that counts <laughs> I mean, you're still doing marketing for your library. <laughs> but yeah, this this is something that's like kind of got under my skin. And I, I, um, I went to the library and I, I kept, I was printing out more receipts just so like I could like look at them more and like study it and like draw on them and like try to figure out what else. And my husband came up and he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I started going on this library rant. Like I just did. And he was like, basically like, who cares? <laughs> like, I care. He's like, I don't, he's like, I really just don't understand why you're so like upset about this. <laughs> and I was like, okay, look, this, here's the thing. <clears throat> I love the library and it is such a huge part of my life. And I love walking. I, when we bought this house, a lot of the reason was, is like, now I know I can walk to the library by myself and with my kids. It just, the library feels like just this really special place to me. And the, <clears throat> I see all the way, like thinking about me, this is how I like to live my life, but like thinking about things in the future, how, they have all these little programs at libraries and at school libraries to get kids to read more, right? And it's like, oh, you know, write a list of all the books you read, bring it in, and you get like a free pizza from a local restaurant or something. Like, what if we could do something? What could we print on this receipt? Or like, what, what, how can we use data to fig to 
display something in the library where kids are invigorated and interested and want to learn more. Like they, they look forward to going to the library, not because they got a free pizza, you know, like I, I feel like we can get there. <laughs> I don't know. Free pizzas are pretty good. <laughs> I know. I love free pizza too. And Hard I love the compete. free ice creams and like, <laughs> I get it. I get it. But like, I, I feel like we could get there and I feel like we could use, we could like capture the magic of the library that I feel and somehow visualize it in a way that like, serves the people coming to the library and like makes people want to go back so they can find, you know, the next interesting find, discover the next like topic that they're interested in. Like I'm just envisioning like some sort of graphic that's on these receipts. Right. And people like want to come in and then we paint a mural on the side of the library and everybody driving by is just like, Oh my gosh, what is that? I want to go visit the library now, you know, cause they got me interested. This is and very pure. I like it. <laughs> I know I, this is. I mean, the, you could, right? Like, no, I, I know, I know. You could do like, I feel like interviews I, and like. Go, I think you'll have to go and like ask everybody who's going to library why they're going, and then I the know. rest that doesn't go why they're not going. Because I know, I feel like right? I could do it. I just need more time to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I need so, more time. Okay, so do you do it? To your point, though, the Brooklyn Library uh, last time I was in New York had covered. It's it's like a really strange, like brutalist type library. It's a, it's in a triangle like this. It's it's right on like a massive roundabout, so you can you can't really miss it. It's pretty like big, but it had wrapped the front with I believe lyrics from a song from Jay Z. I want to say that's what it was, but it was like this wrap paper with just like, you couldn't read it, but you're like, I want to read it. And, and I went in and then the library itself was very disappointing. Um, mm. but not for that. It's just like the inside is less, um, grand cool. and the outside <laughs> it's really more classic like gray and like low ceiling and i'm like, you guys need to improve this. Mm. Um, I think the reason why they had the wrap is because they actually have, um, how do you guys call it? Turntable, right? The like sound, oh. you know, is that how you call it? Turntables? Yeah. And you could listen to music yeah. and it's really high quality. Oh. And they had like everything from the, and that's probably why they were doing that to bring people in about the music more than oh. the books. But to your point, that big rap thing was like, I want to go in. Like, I want to know why there's lyrics on the yeah. building. I can't even read them because I'm in my car while I pass by. But like, I love to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So maybe, it, maybe it would work. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I mean, just lyrics is, are cool too, but I think that like, you know, if someone with our expertise thought about it a little bit, you know, you, just something very simple, like, he, you know, like circle packing, right? And each circle is the size of the um, size of the, it's like the genre, each circle is the genre of, you know, books. And then like they're sized by how often they get checked out. And then like, maybe you could even, you know, alter it a little bit each month and be like, oh my gosh, why is there a surge in um, sci-fi? <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, Susie Liu did a project? I think I believe it was her about using receipts. Like she yes, it programmed was, receipt um, printer to do data viz. Yeah, um, it was like a grocery store receipt, right? Yeah, it yeah, was grocery a long store. Time ago, mm -hmm. when was that? Yeah, it was a long time, and it was just an experiment. It was just like yeah. I wanted to see if I could make data viz with this very limited receipt printer technology because like receipt printers are actually like really weird the way that they work apparently mm, so mm -hmm. it's very difficult to design things for them so it's sort of a bit of a design challenge and a technical challenge um but yeah it was cool 
Yeah, I just found it. I drop it. I'll drop it in the chat. I remember that. I remember my mind blown with that because yeah, it looks like she uses circles too. Yeah, this is circle mm -hmm. packing, and it's just like your thirty-two percent of your receipt was on meat and food and whatever. And yeah. I do like that. That's that that is interesting. Um, I'm trying to think, like what I feel like that needs like one more step. Yeah, I was like, but I was just like, this is basically what you're describing. I yes. mean, obviously with different goals and you know more thought out <laughs> and everything. But like, I was like, hmm, receipts, yeah, like you can, database. Yeah, you can like push the idea forward somehow. Mm -hmm. And um, I am really interested to see how, you know, like something small like that could get more kids to want to go to the library. Like, isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? <laughs> It's also reminding me a bit of um, some of the work that Jer Thorpe has done um, hmm. and his kind of studio and everything. Have you read his book, uh, I haven't, Living no. in Data? Mm -mm. I think I think you based on this it? conversation, I think you would like it a okay. lot. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I definitely think you'd you'd get a lot. Can I get out it at the it. library? <laughs> <laughs> if if you can't, then you need to change libraries. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can buy I mean, it and you, donate you, it. <laughs> he talks about kind of, um, yeah, putting data in a bit more of a human context. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you recontextualize it in that way, it just gives people actually access to it. And yeah. making data sort of serve communities rather than communities serving data, which is mm. what tends to happen at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, how can I use data on like a small scale where it's just showing me like how I can um, discover my next read in the library and it makes yeah. me want to want to come you know, back. This is something that, you know, if the library was a corporation, a multinational corporation, mm -hmm. they would have nailed this long ago. Yeah, <laughs> think about like Spotify. I think one of yeah. the best mm -hmm. examples to me is Spotify in terms of custom thing because they send mm -hmm. you, they have the daily mixes, the six of them of different genre. They have like special, yeah. like indie playlists made just for you. Mm -hmm. They have a mixed playlist with your partner if you want to or your friends. Like they have all those custom thing, which does require a lot of data being given to be fair mm -hmm. uh, not always you know right not against your will but like you know constance is a little blurry here but um but yeah i think it's i think the success of spotify is really show how like a targeted experience can be really efficient to convince people to come back and keep engaging with a platform or yeah and mm -hmm. i think that's probably why they're not doing something that's like like you said like they just don't have resources to invest in like all these data analytics and whatever but like any, any public service like a library is incredibly cash stretched in yeah and so that's probably they're just like oh let's just sum up this one field of like the list price of the book and then you know we'll sum it up and put it on the receipt and that's kind of the best we can do but i kind of feel like you know given some thought and some testing um you could do something like almost equally as simple then it would have more of a, an effect or maybe like this is just really really working and maybe i'm just crazy but <laughs> Also, you can do that. <laughs> I think if you want kids to come to the library, just uh, build like a giant Lego room, buy the yeah. latest, you know, the latest Star Wars Lego set or whatever, and mm -hmm. have it available for people to come build. Yeah, bunch of I iPads. Mean, yep. <laughs> we have just have a free iPad. <laughs> yeah. can just, but see, like my 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 daughters are seven and nine, and you know they are very much into reading. Like they're past like the the I just want to play with blocks phase, mm -hmm. and. Um, I do spend a lot of time on the library app and taking them to the library, trying to find books that they would like. And I kind of feel like data could help us with that. And would I would love to see something that made my daughters be like, I wanted to go to the library because the receipt told me something interesting. Like, that's my dream. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just have to quit my job. Yeah, I mean, it, it's almost just like the Amazon people who like bought this also bought this, you know? Mm -hmm. People who yeah. got out the similar collection of books to what you did also liked these mm -hmm. books. Mm -hmm. like, that would just be really interesting and not yeah. too Which, tricky, I would think. Yeah, the I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, these it things are always so tricky hard. It, it, They I mean, have all like the a data. Basic so, recommender yeah. system, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm taking us down this rabbit hole, but you can see how interesting it is, right? Like, wouldn't we all yeah. just love to just work on this problem all day and get kids in the library? So in summary, what would you pursue if you didn't have to do serious work? You would get angry at libraries. <laughs> no, I love them, but I, I want to help them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking, so like, okay, so, you know, I'm standing at the edge of the sea, right? Just like um, screaming at it, <laughs> screaming at the ocean for waving. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> How do I leap in? I started the script of a podcast episode um, that I'm calling From Gripe to Graph, <laughs> where I am going to, I think, I guess I'm saying it here now, so I have to do it now, but like take this whole ideation, of, you know, like the problem and, you know, like why I'm so mad about this and then um, talking about me ideating different ideas, testing different ideas, and then kind of like end the episode with like, and then I emailed this idea to the the head of the library in our county. And, you know, we'll see if she answers. <laughs> he or she answers. <laughs> and then maybe I'll get a response. And then just kind of have it as uh, kind of like Duncan, you're, you're in my uh, spider thing where it's like, you know, kind of like watch me work in public. And then, you know, maybe something will come of it. Maybe it won't. Yeah. But like, for, you know, for I'm people shooting who aren't my aware. shot. This, this was a project that uh, Ali and I did together where we were trying to get a data story together to pitch to a magazine. Um, and yeah, it didn't work out in the end, but we learned a lot of useful things along the way. Yeah. And you can read all about it if you are a member of the Elevate membership community. Yeah, we called it Spider Chat Live, so it's fun. Spider Chat Live. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add something that you may want to integrate in your process is actually yeah. find a program that could help you sponsor that. Because I think... Uh, um, because they strap, they strap for sketch, they can't do it. But if you're like, Hey, there's this program. Cause there's actually these days, I've seen a lot of initiative where like, it's like data person plus a, um, governmental institution. Like there's a quite a bunch of those with like grants. And you're like, hey, yeah, like and is this local like, innovation oh, funds and stuff like that? Yeah, and like you could be, and and I think New York and Brooklyn has a bunch of those because they're pretty big on like investing in like cultural institution. So yeah. I would be surprised if you could find something where it's like, by the way, like I'm pitching you. Once you've done all your thing, you're like, here's the product I'm pitching, and maybe we could submit that to this grant, and then you let them do that work. But that way, it's kind of like a, hey, we have this really cool idea, but also I'm not asking you to give me money. <laughs> just, right. Just throwing that out there. Just fun the idea. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like Library of Congress has like kind of innovation things. I remember getting their email. Yeah, they have people in residence and. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Oh, see, look, I my dream is getting bigger now. I'm going to Library of Congress. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, being a data artist in residence at your local library, I, I think that's you know something yeah, that really is cool. I mean, feasible to do. You do live in DC. You could be the next. You could I be the could. next. You know, data artist in residence at the Library of Congress. So I know I actually have looked at their things in the past um, and thought about applying, but I didn't have an idea. So maybe this is. Hey, thank you. And now this is yeah. the seed of my idea. <laughs> And I know that um, Stephanie Posevec has done a handful of these, you know, mm. being an artist in residence at a museum right. or something like that. So you may want to look into some of her work around that as well. That's a great idea. 
All right. So that was a very exciting chat. Thank you everyone for joining us today. And if you have any follow-up questions, you can join our um, lovely database community at elevatedatavis.com. We have a nice Slack, fun Slack room and um, we, we'll see yeah, you we again. Can Next we month. can help you, you, I don't know, figure out what your <laughs> dreams are going to be. We can help push you into the sea. And push you yes. into the sea. And in, Keep in a you good, accountable. helpful way. <laughs> join Elevate, join you into the sea. That's not That's a, our new tagline. That doesn't sound pitch, so well. <laughs> we'll push you into the sea. <laughs> we'll give you some of those like floaties first, you know. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> yeah. We'll put right in floaties. That sounds, mm -hmm. that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us.